0: Hello, and welcome to Relatable. This is your host, Teresa Freeman. I speak with Kelly Cure, who is the co-founder and head of Growth for Skillfully. Skillfully lives at the intersection of education, technology, and hiring, three areas where structural barriers have perpetuated inequities toward historically excluded identity groups. Skillfully takes a learner's first approach and they're shining a light on unrecognized talent. In addition, they are a really strong sourcing pool for employers as they're upping the game of students, which then in turn serves the employer as these candidates are really job ready. I've said quite a bit about what Skillfully does in terms of this introduction for Kelly, which is not always the case with my introductions. However, I'm so passionate about what Skillfully is doing. If you listen to this, podcast regularly, you'll know that our interests are aligned and I think what they're doing to help break down barriers and to lessen the gaps with respect to people having opportunity and then giving students and candidates opportunities to up their game so that they're ready. And big thank you to Skillfully because they had me speak with some of their cohorts uh, last fall and, and I continue to look for opportunities to partner with Skillfully. As we get into this conversation with Cal I'm really excited for you to learn more about her and we talk about her unique journey to starting this organization that she's truly passionate about how did living abroad impact her vision for her career what soft skills does she believe are critical for success and what are employers really looking for she's got an inside track there listen in to find out and enjoy this episode Well, thank you so much for being on Relatable. I'm happy to have you on. And you're someone that I've thought about a couple of times to to talk with because uh, we'll talk more about this, but we definitely have interested objectives and priorities with respect to what we do. And so I think there's a lot we can talk about there. And then um, first I should say thank you, Kelly, for the opportunity to uh, work with Skillfully. I had uh, a chance to do a workshop with some of your students. I think it was about a year ago in the fall. And so that was really fun. And so again, I just, that was a great experience. And we'll talk more. I'm speaking with Kelly Cure. And um, Kelly, tell us a little bit about your role with Skillfully right now. What is it that you do and how are you aligned with this organization?
1: Absolutely. And first of all, thank you so much for the partnership that you've had with our organization so far and for your great work in the space. and It's an honor to be with you guys. So thank you. First of all, very fun to be here coming off of a holiday weekend. So good vibes rolling into the podcast (laughs) with you. Um, Skillfully is something that I have been thinking about for many, many years. and I had the chance to start working on it in 2019 just as a concept, as an idea, as an experiment while I was going to business school. I kind of went to business Ah. school with an idea for skills-based hiring. And is there other interested parties aside from me when I was running my previous business who wanna hire students and great learners out there based on their skills, not just based on academic pedigree or GPA or who they're connected with, but based on the skills that matter most for the job. And I just had an amazing experience experimenting that with myself with my first company. And I wanted to see if I could broaden that out. So I had the chance to start working on Skillfully as a tiny baby project back in 2019 and was very fortunate to meet two people who were working on the same idea at the same time. And the three of us eventually took time to get to know each other, worked on separate pilots and really started to respect each other's work and decided to merge our baby businesses together and become Skillfully as one. And so I'm one of the three co-founders of Skillfully In my role, I wear a lot of different hats and I'm plugged into a bunch of different parts of the organization. But my main role is is technically called head of growth. Mm -hmm. What that means in our ecosystem is uh, just to gloss over it. We're essentially a two-sided marketplace where on one side great learners come and join us, either from university partners or from NGO partners like Black Girls Code, 100 Women in Finance, um, Beta Alpha Psi, different professional organizations send their wonderful learners to us, or we're working with students at community colleges or four-year institutions. They come and join us to demystify different career paths, to brush up on their professional skills, a lot of soft skills, so jump into that, Um, durable skills and also hard skills and kind of understand what the different tracks are before they decide to put all their eggs in one basket and go down that track. And then at the end, we connect them with the other side of the business, which is employment. So I focus on everything on the learner side of the house. So I work with a ton of amazing, leaders like you, um, leaders in academic institutions. And at the end of the day, I work on supporting all of our learners and our users. So that's my role with Skillfully.
0: Congratulations on (laughs) all of it, really. And and as someone who started our own business, I think the opportunity where you found, you had your own business, but then you found people that were equally minded and doing something similar, and then being able to take that and I think put it on a larger, Scale and to be able to kind of that multiplying factor is yes. so great, and particularly given what you're doing, uh I feel like you know I could probably spend hours with you just talking about the idea of skills based hiring. My so my career I started out in acquisition in cr- campus recruiting, and then I, okay. I evolved from there over uh, uh, like over you know well two and a half decade probably within within kind of corporate. America in the um, professional services space. And I think one of the things and part of why I decided to do this is that there is such a myth or a misnomer that the academic performance is is solely this indicator of professional performance. And, you know, we we could probably talk a lot about the education system and how it's somewhat broken in that way and that there's only sort of one framework and one way that we've said you can be smart. And this is the way and this is the way that everybody everybody says this is how you're smart. And I so part of in this book that I wrote, you know, it's like, no, no, there's lots of different ways you can be smart and we need lots of different people out in the world talking about that, having conversations about that. What do you think is some of the hurdles that you have to jump over to? Because I think you're actually creating and you're transforming the way people think about performance and and how people can perform. What do you think you're running into now that you're in this business that's trying to kind of break that norm?
1: Yeah, I think that's such a good question. I think, yeah, many, I always talk to younger entrepreneurs or earlier entrepreneurs and I'm like, come to me with all your problems because we've come up against every hurdle and experienced almost everything that that one can have. Um, I think one of the most interesting things that we've come up against, uh, which has almost been a positive, I'll talk about hurdles too, but is a shifting mindset, especially over, because we started working on this just pre-pandemic, and then very quickly the pandemic hit, social justice uprising happened, and there was a change in dialogue around mental health, around equity in the workplace, around diversity in the workplace, around inclusion, and that has almost been amazing timing for us to say, wow, great, there's so many more people and structures now putting into place the thought that you just touched on, which is there are so many different types of skills, there are so many different types of intelligence out there. And companies finally are looking at the data and saying, our bottom line is impacted by Mm -hmm. a more diverse workplace. This isn't just a CSR initiative, we need to weave this into the fabric of our hiring. So I've seen some amazing steps happen in that direction. And when you look at systemic change, these are just tiny baby steps in the right direction and amazing kudos. So it's our job to try to amplify those more and to double down and to be that resource for so many employers out there who say, I would love to hire from a broader range of schools. I would love to hire from a broader range of applicants. I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to look. Um, And it's like you said, there's a couple different hurdles that we come up against because it's not just helping them know where to look and helping connect them with a more diverse population Mm -hmm. of students across every form of the word of diversity, whether it's geographical diversity, whether it's the type of school they went to or the background they have, many different types of diversity bringing in there but it's also how do we support a broader range of applicants in a workplace that has historically looked like this
0: mm-hmm. and
1: like look, looked like A and we're bringing in a whole alphabet now mm-hmm. uh, to acknowledge that those of us with different backgrounds and that diff- took different pathways, um, for example, we work with a bunch of first-generation college students, we work with in some of the programs like our apprenticeship programs, we work with a number of recent immigrants and Those individuals are have the exact same level of intelligence as an Ivy League student, but they might need different support in a workplace that was built by his, you know, a certain group of people in the past who were more homogenous. And now we're, you know, bringing more perspectives into the workplace, and that just requires different levels of support. So that's a small part of what we do is also trying to nudge the conversation and supporting our learners after they're hired with our fantastic employer partners. Um, So those are just a couple of flavors that that we look at carefully when we're doing our work.
0: And that actually is a great segue to this question I have around, you have a unique opportunity to see both sides of the equation Mm -hmm. with respect to you're seeing, and you're getting a lot of data around candidates and the candidate pool today yeah, <laughs> right and yeah. then and then you're seeing the employer side and what employers are uh, seeking you know where they would like to see some some more development or the kind of candidates that they're interested in so maybe you could talk to us a little about that intersection point and yeah. what do you see let's take it at least from the employer perspective yeah. what are you seeing that they are drawn to in terms of their candidates and that that are that are if you're, if you're someone looking for a job right now, you know, what are things that you need to highlight that might be make yourself more attractive?
1: Yes. I love this question. This is my favorite question to talk about. <laughs> oh, good. Um, <laughs> so thank you for, <laughs> um, and I love approaching it from, from both ways. Yeah. So I think actually what you touched upon is our secret sauce, cause it is a lot of work to do both sides, but I think that's our secret sauce and, we exist because there's a need. And if it was easy, you know, 10,000 people Mm -hmm. would be doing it, but instead, you know, it's not. So one of them, there's a couple of things that we hear from our employers. What we're focusing on right now is mostly early career hiring or entry-level positions or straight out of grad school. So a lot of our learners, wherever they're at in their journey, whether this is a career pivot and they're going for a more earlier career level, you know, like first five years, first five levels, or they're straight out of university. There's many different pathways that come to us. But what we hear from our employer partners over and over again, and we've actually changed our curriculum and changed our experience. And we do this frequently because we have real time data from the employers and what they're looking for. And we have a team that can adjust what we're exposing our learners to and the skills that they're developing and confirming on our platform. But what we hear first and foremost and most all the time are the soft and durable skills. <laughs> they say we train on our flavor of the hard skills and as long as who we're hiring has a foundation of either, you know, whatever, again, whatever flavor that they're hiring for of academic experience or work experience, they'll have a foundation that they're coming in with. but. And the employers, assuming we invest in hiring these learners, they, most employers are going to do a month or so of training of here are the tools we use. Here's how we do X, Y, Z. Here's how we, you know, the harder skills and they'll train learners on that. What they're actually looking for is the ability to learn and some examples of where they've demonstrated the, the ability to learn a methodology. So I always say to learners, you don't need to know five coding languages or you don't need to know Excel and Tableau and XYZ. They use one of those as a proxy for, oh, if they know SQL, they can definitely learn Python. They have that ability. They've learned the methodology and that can be applied in many ways. So I think having enough foundation and hard skills, great. But mostly what the employers are looking from us are the soft and durable skills. So I think a couple of big ones that we touch upon are just, um, it's so cliche, but it's so important, uh, professional business communication, being able to communicate efficiently verbally and written that isn't written in a tweet or a soundbite. It's written in good human language and ChatGPT, great resource, but you can also know that it's you know, ubiquitous and being used. You can also tell when things ring a little hollow. So I always tell students, great, use this as a tool to practice, but when you actually write an email, put your own flavor on it, put your style. So basic professional written communication, collaboration is huge Mm -hmm. because Early career learners are going to collaborate with clients and or team members no matter what. Nobody is working on an island in their early career. Um, Very rare. So the collaboration component and being able to demonstrate that in tangible and proxy ways in the interview. One of my favorite questions when I interview uh, people for Skillfully and new team members, interns, is tell me about a time that you helped somebody. Tell me about the last time that you helped somebody, professionally or not. That's a proxy for how you manage teams, how you work with teams, how you collaborate and how your mind works. And then I think employers are also looking for um, just critical reasoning and problem solving. Mm -hmm. That would be the third that I think is most important. And then the fourth one that we also really, really work on students with is how to ask good questions. And being comfortable asking questions in the workplace. Because sometimes we show up in a new job and we're so intimidated, we think we're expected to know everything, and that's not the case. You always get a grace period, um, and it's it's powerful to start asking those questions and to normalize and to also what that does is that signals to their manager that they're not an expert and they that's not why you hired me. Um, so it also signals to the manager, oh, you know, maybe I've been working with more experienced people. This person might need more support, and setting the manager up for success as well.
0: Yeah, the last one you just mentioned, well, I should say all of them are certainly things that I talk about all the time. So it's so great to hear from someone that's an expert, that's in industry, that's seeing it real time, because I think it helps to enforce and help people to really understand they're so critical, these skills. The, the piece about question asking, I, I just, as you were talking, kind of a light bulb went off around curiosity oh yeah and and people being able to ask a question and then really want to hear the answer and then apply and apply what they've learned i I have a client right now i'm working with in kind of the tax space let's say tax and audit space Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. interesting because the senior leaders in that organization want the junior talent to ask more questions
1: yeah
0: and the junior talent has even indicated that the senior, senior members of the team are open to questions, yet the junior talent's still not asking questions. So it's just interesting whether it's something about you know I hate I I'm really like uh, cautious to say anything about a generation right, but but it is an interesting dynamic where you have people say ask us the questions, and then yeah, sure you agree. have people saying I don't know everything, but yet there's still this. You know, So I think we could do a better job of teaching learners or helping yeah. create uh, an intersection there where it's okay to ask questions, but then really when you ask a the question, it, it, there's a curiosity to it where you really want to hear the answer and then change your behavior or change what you've done based on what you've learned. Yeah, absolutely. Which is something too, yeah.
1: yeah. So too. I think the couple of things work well there is just like seeding some questions. Um, I mean, this is more about coaching managers and students, yes. but like for students also just providing some typical questions to them and like how just examples yeah. of how to ask general questions in the workplace. As a manager, I always try to create a safe space of saying, you're just taking this all in right now. And once you actually start doing the work, that's when you're probably gonna have the questions. Yes. So, also normalizing, creating that safe space of like the questions don't all have to come at once. They can be drip fed throughout, and they should be because then you're refining your work product or your deliverable. You're asking questions along the way. And so many of us learn by doing instead of just learning by theory. That's also why we try to bring skillfully into the classroom to have more applied learning mm-hmm. and more experiential learning to bring actually okay why am i learning excel right now oh it's because i'm going to be serving a client someday i think especially in more abstract careers like consulting finance accounting which is a lot of the students that we work with and a lot of the employers that we work with if you if we didn't grow up with a parent working in that field We don't know what the heck it is to work in these careers. You don't necessarily go to school to become a consultant. So putting some like demystifying what it's like Mm -hmm. and sharing them what the what the work is actually like, then they can get comfortable with what types of questions do I have? when I'm doing this type of work. Mm -hmm. Um, They can start to pattern recognize on themselves and then seed some of those questions for the future when they're in the real world.
0: Absolutely, and I think there's this great idea of, to your point, a lot of what you're talking about is is in the details. So you have to kind of get into the details of these things. It's not just glossing over it to really understand. It's it's very layered. Uh, In terms of one thing, one other question just about skillfully and what you've been describing. What about trade work or anything in that? I mean, I know you just talked mostly about professional skills, but do you yeah. as an organization do anything in the trade space? Or is that where maybe a learner might join skillfully to build up and strengthen some of those soft skills or some of you know, in terms of the content mm-hmm. that you have to help them yeah. then interview for those types of jobs? Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, your one-stop shop for workshops, coaching, speaking, and soft skills development. If you'd like to hire Teresa, visit www.tfasoftskills.com for more information.
1: we don't work in that space as much there's some amazing organizations out there that do and there's a really strong we're based in the bay area in california Mm -hmm. there's some really strong um movement and investment by the government in that space so i think it's a super exciting workspace Mm -hmm. Um, especially for i mentioned apprenticeships before that's historically where apprenticeships can be really strong. And we're almost branching out into more professional apprenticeships and more like longer term, um, more like white collar, historically, quote unquote, white collar, um, office career apprenticeships as well. So, our bread and butter is less trade. Mm -hmm. But I think if there are listeners out there who are working in trades, but want that leg up or want the soft skill emphasis, We have a ton of we call them like general business or professional essentials tracks that they can do that are basically no matter what you're doing whether you're working in government for an ngo whether you're an electrician whether you're Mm -hmm. uh, working on wall street the whole spectrum and whether you're an artist there are certain soft skills or certain professional skills that really help you show up and just have that basic knowledge of critical reasoning problem solving So many of those trades, so many of those jobs that I mentioned do that on their profession all day, every day. And sometimes they will have all of the skills to have a broader range of jobs, but they just don't know that yet. So Skill is also a great place to come confirm get the words because we badge all of our skills, get the words to describe the skills that you have, confirm that you have the skills, and also top up, okay, what are some critical reasoning? What are some Excel skills? What are some, you know, polishing a deliverable in a sandbox in a safe space before I go out and do that in an interview, um, Mm -hmm. or in a work sample or in a job shadow. So it's a great, we always say it's a great place to come demystify different tracks because it's a safe space to learn. Um, But historically we haven't been as much focused in the trade, but I think there's a ton of very cool organizations out there who are.
0: And the other idea that you just taught is you think about trades too, and you think about entrepreneurs. And so you think a lot about artists. Mm -hmm. You mentioned artists, but I know a lot of great artists, but then you have to also run a business or even people in the medical profession, right? That are, I talk to a lot of doctors. but then have to, you know, they get there and then they have their practice and it's like, oh my gosh, now it's not just about healing people. I actually have to run a business now. So the skill set and and everything that you're talking about that, you know, people would have access to that as well. Tell me about your, so you, you said you had this idea in college. So tell me about a little bit about your own path to get to this point, because obviously it's really, it seems personal to you or very kind of mission driven. So can you, You know, I always like to back up a little bit and hear more about your path, too, in terms of how it led you to this point.
1: Yeah, it definitely. It was the most organic uh, experience of of getting to Skillfully, which has been a, a joy and, and truly a passion. Um, started my career in management consulting, mm-hmm. typical coming out of undergrad, having no idea what I was going to do. Had never heard of management consulting before in my life, had no idea what that was. Um, but applied for a job with Deloitte and started working with them um, as my first job out of university and was had the chance to travel, work on a bunch of different clients over the years, um, had the chance to live in London with them for two years and just get to see the world a little bit, which was a big priority of mine. And through that, definitely spent some time in developing countries and was really interested in Uh, I felt like I'd learned a lot in a certain area, which Mm -hmm. was business and finance, consulting, solving business problems. And I was curious about extrapolating that into other more mission, for me, mission aligned uh, work. And so my mission statement coming out of working for Deloitte for a number of years was how can I take the skills that I learned and apply them to something I'm really passionate about? And through my search for that, which was not a quick, uh, quick pivot, but I took time to stay with Deloitte, research what I was going to do next. And eventually, after a lot of coffee chats and a lot of soul searching, I had a job offer to move to Africa and consult in renewable energy and had an amazing experience in my first six months there and decided to double down and stay longer um, and really take on... I was doing a feasibility study and it seemed feasible. So then take on the work with the client and kind of start my own consulting business. So I lived in a country that's formerly called Swaziland. Now it's yeah. called Eswatini, named back to its indigenous name. Uh, lived there after after London, I moved to Africa for four years. And that's a chance, uh, that's the time I got to start my first business and really, realized that I could be an independent consultant and that I could do all of the work myself and build my own teams. And I started a a project uh, where I was hiring a lot. And through that experience of almost being my own worst enemy or my own customer zero of realizing when I hire with just a resume, I actually don't find the best people. When I find the best people, I'm kind of throwing the resume away and talking about their skills. And that really stuck with me. My very best team members and employees that really helped grow this project and this business were were very non-traditional. They wouldn't have come through a LinkedIn algorithm. And I had a really strong experience of like, wow, the way we've been hiring in the past just, just isn't the best way to find somebody objectively. And I wonder if there's other people out there wanting to hire differently too. And at that point, I'd been abroad for seven years, wanted to move back to the U.S., was was curious about what was going on in the U.S. at that time. How can I help back in my home country? And so I decided to go to business school and work on this wild idea that I had with Skillfully and ended up in the Bay Area at Berkeley Haas and got the chance. They had a bunch of different resources for entrepreneurs just to test out. And I thought, this is just a wild idea that I'll probably work on as a project throughout business school. But it ended up you know getting a little grant funding and then getting good feedback and then meeting my co-founders and things just kind of naturally progressed and i started working on it full-time my second year in business school and then it just took off from there and we've had the chance to now Raise some venture funding yeah. and build our team. Now we're a team of seven full time employees and about fifteen twenty total working mm-hmm. in our our Skillfully family. And um, yeah, it's been a it's been a wonderful journey. So thanks for asking. Were
0: you a good student, and were you someone that uh, the academics came very easy to you? Is there from a Perspective of you know some of the candidates that you're working with now, right? And and sort of juxtaposed to to what we're talking about with respect to kind of what you look like on paper. So in, from from that part of your journey, was that something that came easy to you, or is it, were you someone that had to sort of work hard? Tell me a little bit about that that part for you. Yeah,
1: I think um, maybe somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah. I think certain subjects were a breeze, and certain subjects were I wasn't into. Mm-hmm. you know, and so it was hard to motivate. Yeah. And I I was one of those students that always had a lot going on outside of school, too, that I found really life enriching. So I was balancing, I guess I saw the bigger picture a little bit of like academics as one component mm-hmm. on my plate. But there's a few other things that are really enriching that I'm learning a lot through. And I had additional priorities as well and creativity is really important to me so I always wanted to feed my creative juices and I chose my university because I wanted to dance there so that was a really important component of my college experience so yeah I I can find myself I find myself relating to so many different pathways because I've done I'm a dabbler I've done so many different Things. I've career pivoted so many times and now I've been on my professional journey for, let's see here, like, um, I can't even do the math, but let's say 15 years. Um, and it's been a, it's been a phenomenal experience. Yeah.
0: Um, what was your, just to, um, because when you said you started with Deloitte, what was your degree in um, undergraduate then? Were you in yeah, finance? it was match?
1: in marketing. marketing. No, okay. I hated finance. Yeah, <laughs> it was in marketing, and um, I also studied German language and film. Okay, oh, cool. That's cool. <laughs>
0: um, no, I love that. And I obviously use word pivot a couple of times, and that's something that yeah. I'm passionate about is that there's no straight line, that oh, yeah. you know success can feel and look a lot of different ways. When you think about your path, and particularly when you made the choice to go to Africa, what do you think helped you to make that move? And was there any, you know, that you're sort of abandoning a lot that you're used to? Or, you know, was that a risk for you to, to go there? Certainly to kind of maybe go out on your own. Tell me a little bit about some of the thought process for you in in pursuing that and what that kind of pros cons list was like and how risky was that for you
1: yeah i as an i think exemplified by the entrepreneurial entrepreneur <laughs> in me yeah. i do have a high i gravitate towards maybe risk and mm. i do have a high tolerance for risk and ambiguity and newness mm. and change i tend to gravitate towards other the unknown in change so that was part of it and then it was less of a logical decision and more of a almost like a deeper uh, life mission and like heart calling. decision mm-hmm. yeah where I was just really tapped into and I think that's where some of my this is interesting because it's where some of my like best business decisions or best professional career decisions come from following a curiosity in that i have rather than following a logical locked in formula or spreadsheet pro con list although like that can be super helpful exercise almost like a journaling exercise to do but it was so much more of i don't really know why i have to do this i don't and i've had that multiple times in my career of i don't really know why i have to do this this doesn't make a ton of sense and when i explain it to people it doesn't necessarily sound polished and great out loud but I have to go do this and I'm so curious and I this is I I think Elizabeth Gilbert the eat pray love writer and she's prolific she's a wonderful leader she says don't worry about following your passion we all have 15 passions at any given time that's not the most helpful narrative to tell ourselves and put the pressure on ourselves what is my passion find my passion what's your north star but just Keep it simple and follow what you're curious about, follow your curiosity. And that's almost a better methodology because the worst case that happens when you follow your curiosity is you just satiate that curiosity and you're engaged and tapped into it. You're present. And that's when we learn a lot and that's when we can make an impact. That's the worst thing that can happen. The best thing that can happen is that curiosity becomes your life's work or becomes a chapter of your life's work. And the more I read of... You know, successful business leaders, successful, whatever that means, yeah. you, but happy business leaders, um, fulfilled business leaders. The more I read their advice, what I hear all converging in one place is take your 20s to experiment. Coming out of university or coming into your 20s, don't necessarily have a formula and don't put all that pressure on you of what's my life mission, what's my life work. If you're somebody who knows that, great. Good on you. So lucky, so fortunate. That might also change in the future. And being open to that is great to have in the back of your mind, but take the twenties, even take the early thirties, take as much of your life as you want to, to experiment, to pivot. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a mistake. That's not an oops. It's part of your journey. And that weaves together this fabric of, of your career journey that when you look back on it, I can never give somebody a formula of how I got to where I am and I'm doing, I'm so lucky. I'm doing my dream job right now, working with my dream team. How did that happen? Just fall, making a lot of mistakes is the truth, making a lot of mistakes, taking a lot of pivots, yeah. um, you know, taking the path less traveled because that was my path and it doesn't yeah. need to be anybody else's path and following my curiosity. And I see that almost being a pattern of like, just take your twenties and explore and, The other side of that is what I experienced was I don't have the I don't have the luxury of exploring. When I graduated from university, I was like, I got bills to pay. I have loans to pay off. I don't have the luxury of exploring, but I think I still was able to make enough mistakes in in my 20s professionally and learn and pivot and have the experience of staying with a company too long and have the experience of, you know, so I think the The messiness is actually to be celebrated, and that's, I think, where the richness and where the growth comes, and those are the moments that 10 years later or five years later, you're going to be talking about on a podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I think another way of saying it, which I've said more probably in the last 10 years because of, you know, you have this benefit of experience, which is nothing's a life sentence, and I think when you're younger, and you're, like, when I first came out of school, you you started you're very, you compare yourself a lot, I think, to your peers, and you probably do that okay. for a lot of your 20s, and maybe some of your 30s, and maybe, you know, maybe it's like your yep. mid-40s, you stop start doing that, yes. but I think that um, this idea that people are leaving you behind versus like really anchoring in what you're curious about, I love that you, you kept using the word curiosity with respect to, to what next, well, no matter where you are, so if you're just graduating from high school like I you know I have conversations all the time with students that aren't sure they want to go to college and yeah. you got to listen to that and I think you know we're getting better at not saying there's only one path for you now yes. to to be successful and so if we can get keep getting educated those of us on the other side sure. that are trying to help people say there's lots of different like we said at the top like there's a lot of different ways you can do this and I think too this idea of owning the mistakes, owning, you know, to your point, did I stay somewhere too long? Did I, you know, how did I manage my relationships and my network? How, how was I as an employee? How, how was I, you know, all of the things that like, I think you, you just, it's with experience that you get better at understanding how to maneuver um, yeah. and what, you know, what would I do again? What should, what shouldn't I do again? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
1: that's that's so important, and I think they always say like location, location, location. I yeah. always say relationships, relationships, relationships. No matter what your job is, the job is a veneer. The relationships oh, are my gosh. are the actual yeah. job. That's the only thing. That's what <laughs> I tell myself. My two jobs are taking care of my users and my learners, and taking care of my team. That's my actual job. Yeah, it's not growing the business. It's not selling it's not bringing on more university partners it's not bringing on more users it's taking care of the users that we have now and taking care of my team if i do those things right everything else takes care of itself
0: yeah and that's so nice to have a simple objectives in place like right this it's sometimes you maybe you've learned this i've learned this certainly as an operator the tighter you get the more specific you are the cleaner and it easier it is to operate and to deliver Mm -hmm. on what you're trying to do Teresa's new book, Soft Skills I Learned the Hard Way, is out and available on Amazon. She writes about many epic fails throughout her career and how she learned from them so you don't have to. This book is full of cheat codes for how you can differentiate yourself when it matters, like in interviews, trying to get a promotion, or being a first-time leader. As always, thank you, Relatable Community. We are so grateful for your support and continued listenership. As of today, We are 8,000 listeners and 15 countries strong. Now back to the show. In terms of relationships, that's a great uh, opportunity to ask you about whether it's a relationship or a situation or a particular event, because you've already touched on a couple for you that really shaped you or helped you in terms of decisions that you've made I, you know not everyone has a handful of these watershed moments but is there a, you know one that you think about that you think really defined or had an influence on you?
1: Yeah, I think there's a few. Um, one of my first managers in Deloitte I came in I came in pretty intimidated into mm-hmm. the job because I was basically not qualified. I did not have a technical background. I didn't have a finance background. This is a very structured methodical uh job that I jumped into and I had to do so much learning on the fly. Most other people that were hired into the position were engineers or finance majors and they took a chance on me and there was a big bigger learning curve for me than others. And I think in my first few months I was I was being a little bit timid and not fully leaning into myself or the job. And I'll never forget the moment that a manager who had created a very safe space with me, and he was a great leader, and quite a measured, gentle person said to me, like a a harsher thing or said to me a stronger thing. And he said, you're a grown woman, like jump in there and lead. And I want you to grab the bull by the horns. And it was like, oh, I have permission to be me in this setting or, oh, I have permission to show up or lean in more and i almost needed that permission to not to like you know not be a wallflower and to get in the game and to commit more and to be more present and engaged and you know yeah just not hold back and defer and that is my natural state is to contribute and be in the game and be in the mix so that was that was definitely a moment in my early career that i appreciated and then i kind of was like okay that's good advice. You continue to give me good advice. And um, this is somebody I'm still in contact with, you know, 15 years later, because he's been a great mentor and a great leader to me. I think a couple other moments, mm-hmm. I think one just being when I could spend enough time sitting down with myself and not running around scatterbrained when I was trying to career pivot and took one day every single weekend to just work on my next step. So I said, this is this has got to be my part-time job. I want a career pivot and I don't know how to do that. And I really want to do that. Like that's such a priority to me. That one day of my weekend needs to be dedicated to this. And it took me a year of that commitment of sitting down, researching, updating the resume, going to coffee chats. And I think through that I got clarity that I really want to be focused on impact. And so when and like what what I clarified, what impact meant to me and, you know, what's my life mission, what do I want to be doing? And so when the harder decisions came a little bit later about going to Africa or about uh, there was a time when I had to decide to go back to Africa after some um, some really personal loss in my family. so when when kind of this tougher decisions came i had this alignment and this clarity that took me a lot of time to get like a year felt like a really long time Mm -hmm. in my late 20s -hmm. to to spend, you know, one weekend every, you know, dedicating to this career pivot, but I had that alignment and then it was like, okay, throw anything at me because now I'm aligned. And now I'm aligned with my career mission and what I want out of life and therefore I can make decisions very easily because I have this understanding of who I am and what I want to do.
0: I love that. I you're as you're talking, I'm I'm curious about your you seem like someone who's fairly motivated and disciplined when you talk about that, like structuring out that time or that you have a kind of an engine in you, where do you think that comes from? Have you have you always been like that? Or is there, you know, is yeah. that something, it's just curious like it, to have that much energy and sort of motivation to, to activate on the things that you want.
1: Yeah, someone say I have too much energy, so I need a <laughs> lot of outlets for it. I need a lot of positive outlets for my energy. Um, I think it definitely comes from my family. I look at my brothers and they're very similar, even my extended extended family. And then I think it comes from, I get so motivated by by other people in the work that they're doing. And I maybe have less of the FOMO. I'm like, okay, I'm running my own race. I can go Mm -hmm. at my own speed. They might be running faster, but I get so motivated by the work that other people are doing. And I think over time it's been really important for me to surround myself with people who really motivate me and who are running at my speed or running faster and i can kind of look to them and see not necessarily you know oh i should be doing more i don't yeah that that's like a very natural narrative to get into and i try to stay away Mm -hmm. from that but it's more like how can i I just get so inspired by what, what they're doing. I even get inspired by Skillfully's competitors. I get excited because I'm like, this is great work. We all need to be doing this. So it's more like, I, yeah, I get really inspired by other people who are out there hustling. Mm-hmm. And then I get really excited and inspired by our partners and the great work that they're doing. And when I, every time I meet our learners. So just staying close enough to the impact. Yeah. Um, which can you know? Sometimes you can get into meeting mode or go yeah. in the business mode. So, but staying close enough to to the impact, to the team, to the people. But definitely, the engine and driving me was was I think something I was born with, and then something that was really just encouraged in my family. Very fortunate. I think my whole life has been set up to be fortunate, just because of where I was born and who I was born to. So that support system and motivation in the family of it doesn't matter what you do, because have to do something. You have to be really committed to it. You have to work hard. You don't have to be the best at it, but like being the hardest worker is kind of what's celebrated in my family.
0: And you had mentioned dance before too. And if you're like pursue, I also find people that have a sport or, you know, like as an athlete, there's something about that breed of human (laughs) when you, you know, if you're, if that's part of your life, a big part of your life, that creates or teaches you, I think, a discipline or an opportunity to say, and I feel like with athletics and maybe I'm like this, like, um, I mean, I, I you know, I, fl- I flirted with, I'm like, a, I could do some things, but I think real, like where I see accomplished athletes, it's almost like if you put in the time and the work and the effort, you can see that return. And so yes. you can kind of apply that concept. Like to your point, I love, I loved your example of taking a year of giving dedicated time to think and reflect before Mm -hmm. moving and you talked about the your 20s being this like experiential time and i i agree i i interviewed someone who's a really good friend of mine who had been at um facebook for for a while and it was kind of in the earlier stages of facebook but she had been there a while and it was a really Mm -hmm. hard decision to leave and she really took her time and really Mm -hmm really had a lot of conversations and, and I think did this exploration versus like our knee jerk. It's like, I've got to leave now, or I've got to make this move now, or, you know, this, that, that push or pull to do something immediately, that exploration to your point, I love how you aligned it to then if something happens, you're just clear in what you're going to do or decide because you've already done that upfront work. So I, I just love those examples. I think it's so great.
1: hundred percent. Yeah. And I think there is a fallacy of time sometimes in our society, especially in America. Mm. Of there's these times that have been set up by this point, you're supposed to do this, or it takes three months to settle into a role, or, you know, you shouldn't be at a job for more than two years. You should be at a job for at least five years. There's a lot of narratives out there and it's, I mean... Those can be true for any individual at any given time. They can be completely false for any individual at any time. So I think the more we run our own race, but really tap into, you know, have a great support system around us or great mentors to run it by. Even if you just have one person, that's All you need is one, yeah. Yeah. And if you don't, I think looking to other people who who you can who you can take a a motivation from or a message from is a great proxy for having a support system because there's times when we don't have a support system and when I look at I I get really excited when I look at the students who are in college now or who are in their early 20s now the gen z's because I think they have some really cool things figured out and I think they're it, just to put them all in mm-hmm. one bucket, there's sure. so much going on there. But just to collect it collectively, the the energy that they're bringing to the workforce and the emphasis on mental health, the emphasis on fractional work. um There's so many amazing. I think COVID also gifted us with that. Of oh, we don't need a full time CTO. We can have a fractional CTO who also does three other jobs, and that person can have. You know so many these i think the power of the side hustle can be get, great get, get i think family. that does take a ton of discipline to do multiple jobs because there's definitely switching costs but there's great examples out there of i have friends who are amazing at managing their fractional work I get really excited for Gen Z because I see a wisdom coming from, they've seen how it's been done in the past and they're like, it just doesn't have to be that way. I don't have to work 70 hour weeks. So I can't have a balanced life and I refuse to not have a balanced life for, um, I think there's some wisdom coming from the next generation that I get also really excited about. That's a really fun part of the work is going into classrooms and speaking with early career learners and hearing the questions that they ask. And one of my very favorite quotes that I always say to them is, the prize goes to the person who slows down the least, not necessarily the person who moves the fastest. So that just says mm-hmm. that, you know, FOMO can be so powerful, especially in university. You're looking right and left or or in even in a job. You know, you see everybody else getting promoted or you see everybody else leaving and just i think coming back to over and over again i'm on my own path i'm running at my own speed and my speed is going to be the right one for me i use a lot of running analogies sorry i um that's another big passion of mine
0: (laughs) no i think it's it's so true and it really becomes this personal it is a personal journey and it is your journey and so While there is a lot of influence and a lot of stimulation that comes at all of us all the time. I yeah. mean, even in my journey in the last five years, you know, there's all these things that say, do this, try this, go here and so yeah. you you know, I think the idea of being pretty anchored or slowing down to consider I think you're right about Gen Z too. I think it's exciting. I think part of why I love what I do is that connection to our future leaders, to what's coming. It's helped, it helps keep things fresh for me. I mean, it's yeah. kind of like this rejuvenation in terms of a second act. So I know yes. we just have a couple more minutes. I feel like we might have to have you back oh, <laughs> to have a, a part would two, be but Anytime. tell me a little bit about, you mentioned them in at the top in terms of what employers are looking for. I'm interested as you in you as a leader. Maybe you could talk about with your teams, What are two soft skills that you appreciate in the team that as they work with you uh, that you find certainly, you know, helps them to be more successful in working with you? So what are the things like as a leader that you're looking for or that you want to see?
1: Thank you. Um, And I think this touches on some great soft skills that I hadn't mentioned yet, I think one of the most important things that's just like very bubbled up to the surface with a startup but across the board in any job this applies is prioritization. One of my friends who has been in the military before told me a very simple statement that I have at the top of my my list that I that I track my priorities and it's just plan, execute. And it just reminds me that to resist the urge to just start executing and just bulldozing through life. And what I see with my team members who are super successful and something that we check in on frequently is prioritization. Because your plate plate is always going to be overflowing, especially at a small growing business. And another great entrepreneur said to me, figure out which fires you can let burn, Mm -hmm. which fires are gonna turn into a wildfire overnight and which ones are just gonna smolder and die out. So you're gonna have to get comfortable with letting fires burn. And I think that's probably what a lot of Gen Z workers have done and students who really are learners who really prioritize mental health and boundaries and mitigating burnout is, I'm not going to get everything done probably in a given week. What is important to prioritize and being aligned with prioritization with your manager? And always, I always say, leaving a little room for cream too. Not overstacking and overbooking life, which, like, totally guilty yeah. of sometimes too. And whether it's in, in my life, in time management, which I'm always working on, or with my team, keeping a little bit of room for cream for those curveballs, for those quick asks from your manager. Because if you're, if you're known as that person who can be the yes person and who has a little bit of room for cream and who can manage that, and because you've managed your priorities right, I think that can be a really great differentiator for you and you can become the go-to person for probably some really cool asks and some great learning opportunities. So it's a very long way of saying the um, prioritization, I think is is huge.
0: And I love that example of the cream. I've never heard it described that way. And I think that's a great way to say, leave a little space or figure out how you can carve out some extra space so that you can get those extra opportunities for sure. Uh, And then before you go, as you think back and you look at this journey to date, Is there any advice that you would give young Kelly? uh, Maybe your, you know, 20 something year old Kelly, (laughs) that um, the way I like to frame this is maybe that just would have made the path a little bit easier, not drastically change it. You know, like you've said, you've pivoted and you've learned. So I don't want to take away from that, but anything, if you were to just tap her on the shoulder and say, listen up, (laughs) what would you share with her?
1: That's so, that's such a great question.
0: I think, Younger
1: self, I would say, first of all, I would just say, you're doing so great. Like you are killing it. Probably doesn't feel like it, but you were doing great. I think the, maybe the biggest thing that I would say is just slow down the brain and try to listen, just really lean into listening. And I think sometimes a younger me was distracted with the thoughts, almost the thing where you're like active listening when you have the next question coming up in your head and you forget to listen to the person as a metaphor for just generally just slowing down the brain, being present and like really being able to ask good questions and radically listen and knowing that my questions were valid. um, I would also just tell her to sleep a little bit more. (laughs) <laughs> did not value sleep at all and sleep is super super real for yeah. keeping your creativity alive and showing up in your relationships yeah. um, and then i would just say like yeah put the blinders on and run your own race and enjoy and like the only thing that matters is the relationships at the end of the day because yeah. those are those are what makes it uh that's what builds a full life But that's also the secret sneaky key to success too is just um, really just taking great care of yourself and other people. And you can't take care of your other relationships unless you take care of yourself. So
0: for sure. One thing before you go, because I can't, because you have mentioned it a couple of times, just do you have anything that's worked really well for you to maintain and strengthen your relationships? Because you've talked a lot about the importance of that. So any little Mm -hmm. nuggets you can give us like that have helped you maintain and strengthen relationships?
1: Yeah, I think quality time, just even if it's, I think sometimes when things get really busy, canceling meetings with internal team members or co-founders is super tempting because you're like, I gotta grow the business. I gotta talk to all the external people. and if the home life isn't invested in then in home life being our small company or your intimate team members your your immediate team members um then things can go awry i think a thing that's worked really well for us is not just jumping into in this this can't happen in every meeting this can't happen i would push back i think it can happen in every company but i don't think it can happen at every meeting but taking five minutes at the beginning of the meeting to actually talk as humans. What are you reading? How is your day? How are are you actually doing? No, I actually care. Not good. Good. How's the weather? But like, or if you care about the weather, how actually is the weather? Are you in bad air quality right now? Like, how is that impacting your mental health? So five minutes of like actually quality time. And if things are strained, really leaning into curiosity when in strained relationships of like, actually i'm super curious why this isn't working or why you are underperforming is this not the right rule for you do you hate this what motivates you so leaning hard into understanding motivations and under and leading with curiosity genuine curiosity yeah um when things are strained one great tool that we use for check-ins is a two by two matrix and mm-hmm. the have you heard of these before Tell me. Um, I yeah it's just, it's a great tool because it can also be, it's an ad hoc tool that you can pull out of your back pocket, but we do them quarterly. And then I always leave my door open for two by twos, but it's very simple. It's a it's a manager and a direct report. And you, each of you say two things that I'm doing well, two things I want to work in, two things I think you're doing well, two things I think you could work on. And each person says those. And it's such a rich and very simple framework that, can create a really safe space and normalize giving feedback when feedback can sometimes be awkward and that can really put a wedge between a relationship. Um, So you can either say, hey, I need a two by two. I think we should chat about a couple of things. Do you have time? Let's take 20 minutes. Or you can have them in the calendar quarterly and we do a little bit of both.
0: Man, I'm so glad I asked. (laughs) Yeah,
1: this is been the same. This
0: This has been a real pleasure and I'm so grateful for your time and honestly for so much rich advice, counsel. I really I feel like what you're all doing at Skillfully is amazing. Congratulations. I, I really hope for the best as it continues to grow and prosper because I think you're making a great impact. So thank you and thanks for being on. I really appreciate it
1: a pleasure, pleasure. Such an honor. I would love to support your great work too. I'm a fan of the podcast. So yeah, we'll come back anytime and we'd love to keep partnering with you. Yes. Thanks for your great work and great energy out there. So Absolutely. thank you. For that. Uh-huh.
0: Thank you, Kelly, for being on the show. Your energy was contagious and your insights so helpful. Here's what stood out for me. What it means to leave room for cream. I love that. The importance of leading with curiosity and the two by two method, and your unique perspective on that intersection between candidates and employers. Thank you to Missy for producing this episode and Hannah for your support. A big thank you to our relatable community. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment and subscribe and rate us on your favorite streaming platform. Relatable is sponsored by TFA Soft Skills, and you can find more information about Relatable and our sponsor by visiting tfasoftskills.com. Until next time, this is Teresa Freeman with Relatable. Stay connected.